0: Let us turn now in the word of God back to the portion of scripture which we just read. In seeking the light of the spirit on his word. This night I would like for a few moments this night to look at the famous parable of the prodigal son. Perhaps we can take as our text verse 32. Luke chapter 15 at verse 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. We are told at the very outset of this chapter who the Lord's audience is. So we can discover the context of who was hearing these parables come from the Lord. The first verse we hear of publicans and sinners drawing near to him for to hear him. And we hear of the Pharisees and the scribes, likewise, drawing near. And one thing that the, it's important to know is that these publicans and sinners were, of course, drawing near to Christ. They were drawing near to him to learn, to receive mercy, to receive forgiveness. That makes it more remarkable as to the content of these parables. Because they came physically near to Christ to hear of him and from him. And yet in these parables, they hear of the Lord being the one that seeks. We hear of the lost coin, the lost sheep. Is the coin looking for the owner or the sheep or are they being sought? What an encouragement this would have been to the publicans and sinners. To know that while they in some outward sense were seeking, that the Lord indeed was seeking such to come to him. He came, we are told, to seek and to save that which was lost. What an encouragement that was to them, that those who come in faith and repentance will be received. Not just received with a neutral point of view, but with joy. Joy in the presence of the angels of God. But of course, we know also that the Pharisees and the scribes were there as well. And they were murmuring, they were uh, complaining. In verse 2 they say, this man receiveth sinners. This was a complaint of the Pharisees. You see, they thought they were the pure ones. They thought they were sinless. We sang at the start in Psalm 26. With persons vain I have not sat, nor with dissemblers gone. The assembly of ill men I hate, to sit with such I shun. The Pharisees thought, well, the Messiah isn't going to dwell with ill men. And here he is receiving sinners. Questioning him even in his claim to be the Messiah. But he, Christ, came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And here we have in these three parables, the wisdom of the Lord in his own ministry, in his giving of these parables, he knew his audience. He knew that there were those truly coming in genuine faith to Christ. And he knew that there were those coming in their own righteousness. And what did they receive from these parables? The publicans and sinners knew that they were being sought and that they would be received with joy upon their repentance. And the Pharisees and the scribes were rebuked for their self righteousness. And we'll see that as we go through this parable. In the three points we'll cover this evening, we'll simply cover the three characters that we are told about in this parable the prodigal himself, the father and the elder brother. Prodigal the father and the elder brother. So first of all, then we'll look at the prodigal son himself. This is a man who, no doubt, I'm sure, had a very blessed upbringing. Many blessings he would have had if he had a diligent and loving Father, raising him and his brother. And sometimes we can use these things well, families and church and good friends, that they can be good restraints for us from committing evil and going astray. I myself have a pet dog who, I'm, when I'm out walking with him, I. Make sure that he's obedient to my voice and not just the lead that he's restrained by. But as long as he's obedient to my voice, the day that the lead isn't there for whatever reason, he'll come back, he'll return. Whereas if I'm just using the lead to discipline him, to steer him, when the lead's not there, he doesn't know which way to turn. And friends, we can sometimes see good upbringings as good leads good restraints, we can have great respect and reverence for our parents for bringing us up so well. We can have good respect and outward things to do with the church and even our friends that we circle ourselves with. If they're good and godly friends, they can be good restraints from us. But what about when these things are not there? Perhaps they move home so they're not in the same family circles, they're not in the same church, they're not around the same friends you see with training the dog or as long as he's obedient to the master's voice that's when discipline occurs and right godly living can be pursued so we have a good upbringing with this prodigal son But of course we know what happened. He asks his father to divide portion that falleth to him. And this is what happens. The father gives it. Divides between the brothers their inheritances. That's what he did. And what occurred in verse 13, we have very stark words. Not many days after. He gathered all together. And took us journey into our far country. Not many days. How quick we are and can be in our rebellion. How early is our rebellion? We just sang about being conceived in sin, shapen in iniquity. That is how early in the span of life, a rebellion is. But also in various stages of life, how quick we are to turn to our own way so often. And this is what this prodigal did. Likewise, in the Old Testament, you've got King Joash. And it it has told us that for as long as King Jehoiada was alive, he was a very good king. Then Jehoiada passes away. And as it were, his true colours came out then. Sometimes being put in unfamiliar surroundings can reveal the truth about who a person or people really are. But there he goes into the far country and finds out very soon how miserable sin is. He finds out about the misery of sin. He finds out that sin... Has its limitations. The world and all its thrills. All its glories. Have their limitations. He spent all his substance. I'm sure it was a generous inheritance he got. And it was all gone. Not a drop left. He was taking of these broken cisterns. For so long. In this world. Going into that far country, departing his family and his father's service for the broken cisterns of this world. And he found them to be futile and empty very quickly. But it's remarkable, is it not, that even in that state, knowing that he had run out of all that he had, that he was still looking to the world for a time in that state of misery. He was still looking to the world. Verse 16. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. Isn't that remarkable? Spent all the substance. Realized the end of that inheritance that he had. And now he was dining with the swine. And he still would rather do that than eat with his father. For that time, he was still looking to the husks. Would you rather do that? Are you still doing that? Maybe you're seeing and you're hearing much of, from this pulpit even, the limit of sin. The world will die. This world will pass away. You're spending all your substance on things that run out. But are you still looking to them, even when they have run out? Perhaps you've reached, to coin the phrase, rock bottom. But still the world is your hope. Still the world is your confidence. Still looking to the husks of this world. Thomas Watson said, It is not falling into water which drowns, but laying in it. And it is not falling into sin that damns, but lying in it without repentance. Dear friend, if you stay lusting after the husks of this world for peace, you won't find it. And if this prodigal had continued on that path, he would have perished in the field with the swine, who were actually better off than he was in many ways. James, in his book in chapter 1, verse 20, Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. But we are told, are we not, that he did not stay in that place. He did not stay looking after the husks of this world, but he came to himself. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. He wasn't even thinking of his brother. What is my brother enjoying at this time? He was even looking just to the hired servants, those who are in servitude to his father. Look how well off they, they are compared to me at this time. He was even envious of the lowliest in the kingdom, bread enough and to spare. And perhaps again, non-Christian here, here in this world and you see the hopelessness of this world. You see the futility of it. And perhaps you see, indeed you will see, many Christians enjoying grace, enjoying peace, prosperity in the gospel, nearness with Christ. Perhaps there is an envy in you, and it's a good envy. These Christians have bread enough and to spare They have grace enough and to spare. In this life, they have grace to get them through. And in eternity, they also do. And to spare. And I perish with hunger. Maybe that's your thought this night, as the prodigal's was. He knew he would die unless he changed. Do you believe that this night? Do you believe that if you continue on the path that you're on, the way of life that you're in, that you will die and be judged before the Lord? This is what the prodigal came to understand. He knows his own unworthiness, prodigal. He says, I will arise in verse 18 and go to my father and will say unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee etc. It's interesting what he says in verse 19, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. It didn't even enter the prodigal's imagination that he would be restored as a son. Such was his own knowledge of his own unworthiness for what he did, departing his father's Servitude. Going into this far country and wasting his substance. I'm sure that was a capital crime in the day. The last thing he would have expected was to be restored as a son. But another thing to point out is he did what he said he would. He said, I will arise and go to my father. And in verse 20, and he arose. He did what he said he would do. How many people, and maybe you can ask yourself this question tonight. How many people have sat under the gospel, whether in church or you've heard someone witnessing to you about the need for turning in faith from your sin and to the Lord? And you have not, and you've promised, yes, I will do it. This is all true. I'm, I'm a sinner and I need to turn to the Lord in faith and repentance. And by the time you've left the door, that intention has gone. Well, this was not so with this prodigal. He did what he said he would. And up he arises from the filth from that field. Feeding with the swine, he rises and says, I will go to my father. And then we go back to where the father is. And in the second place, we'll look at the father. We see this beautiful image of the father beholding the son coming. Verse 20, it says, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. You almost get the impression that each and every day that the son was in the far country, the father was longing for the day that he would return, looking as it were to the horizon to see if his young son would return to him. Do you think, dear friend here tonight, that you are too far for grace, that you are too distant? That even if the dawning of repentance is found in my own soul, the Lord will not see it. I am too far away. I am too dark in my own heart. This father saw the son a great way off. Perhaps the Lord looks into this very congregation tonight. Looking for dawnings of repentance in the soul. Is he seeing it in your heart? Is he seeing it in your heart? And if it's there, where that good work has begun, we are told he will finish it. He will bring it to pass. We see the joy of the father in his expression of compassion for his son. The longing that he had, looking out for him, missing him. You see him running to meet him. Put yourselves in the prodigal's shoes at this time. Still, I'm sure, dragging his heels in a sense in the shame of his own life and what he has done. And then to see the father with such joy, and am sure, in his expression, run towards him, falling on his neck and kissing him. Longing for that period of separation, however long it was, to come to an end. We see Joseph, we spoke about him this morning. When he reunites with his brothers and announces who he is, the tears that were shed over the long period, years of separation that they had. And then you see that Joseph reuniting with his father, pouring tears over that period, finally coming to an end. All the love the Lord has for the repentant, the love the Lord has for those that come. Repentant, bearing the need to him, asking for forgiveness, and even in their shame. And yet he lifts them up, blesses them for their humility, forgives their many sins. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, Jeremiah says. Therefore, with loving kindness have I thrown thee. Another thing that the father does is he clothes his son. He clothes his son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. One thing you may notice when reading that is that this is actually an interruption. The father actually interrupts the prodigal at this time. The prodigal had come up with what he was going to say to the father. He was going to say. Um, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he said that almost word for word. But he didn't even get to say. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Soon as he said. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. The father interrupts him. And tells the servant. Get the very best robe. And put it on him. What a glorious thought it is that we are made sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. We know how unworthy we are of that title. And yet what a blessing it is to be in that number, known as sons and as daughters, not merely as hired servants, but actually within the family of God. But we can say, Abba, Father. Wondrous thought indeed. The best robe was put upon him. And you can imagine the prodigal. If he was wearing a robe at all, he would have been covered in the filth of the swine. Covered in who knows what. And he would have walked a long way, his feet in pain, covered in the filth of the swine, and yet he says, put the best robe upon him. Friend, when you come to Christ, you cannot come in another way but covered in the filth of your own sin. There's no other way to approach. You cannot cleanse yourself down. The filth of your own sin is all over you. The Father responds by putting the best robe upon him. And what is that best robe? Is there a greater robe than that which we alluded to in prayer? The robe of righteousness which Christ clothes his people in. Imputed, perfect, holy righteousness clothes those that come, even in their filthiness. Clothes them, that perfect, clean holy robe. He clothes him and then there is a great celebration. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. My son was dead. That is how much this father knew the absence of his son. That is the extent to which he knew it. There was, as it it were, a hole in his family, as if the son had passed away. That is how much he felt his son's absence. And we are not told, are we not told in the scriptures that we were dead in trespasses and in sins? We had no spiritual life whatsoever. Walking according to the course of this world. Dead in trespasses and in sins. Like Lazarus in that tomb. Four days dead. Wrapped in grave clothes. Stinking. But it was said. Arise. Arise. Glorious proclamation. And picture of the soul resurrected. To spiritual life. But thirdly. The elder brother the elder brother. One thing that I alluded to already, but it's worth pointing out again, is that the portion was divided unto them. He divided unto them his living. Even the elder brother got that inheritance and he stayed in the kingdom for however long it was that the the prodigal was away. And this is a character that is brought up, even though the other two parables that are in this chapter don't technically have a third character. This is a character that was brought in with a great purpose in mind. We have here the Jews, the Pharisees, and the scribes that were there. This is why the Savior brings this elder brother Up. he heard the celebrating the elder brother we're told was approaching the house and he heard music and dancing he was questioning what the celebrating was about and friends you can imagine the Pharisees and the scribes at this time wondering at what was going on in Israel and Jerusalem at this time They were hearing of the blind's eyes being opened. They were hearing of deaf ears being unstopped. The lame were walking now. Christ had accrued many a following on many occasions. They were wondering what all this was about. And they were hearing, of course, of Gentiles, sinners being received and they were angry, seeking to find fault at any possible opportunity with even the Lord himself. Just like this elder brother was angry. He was angry with what was going on with the celebration of the return of his younger brother. And these Pharisees and scribes no doubt held a lot of resentment and held a grudge at the Gentiles, for all the years of war and battles that went on between the children of Israel and the ungodly tribes round about, how can they be forgiven look look who their who who were their fathers, those that enslaved us, those that killed us, kidnapped us. How are they being accepted into the kingdom in these days? They held their grudges and their anger was showing forth even in this, at this time. And we have this example for us in the elder brother. And he shelters under his own service. He shelters under his own service. He answering said to his father, verse 29, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Oh, how the Pharisees and the scribes were rejoicing in their own service, looking to their own self-righteousness, thinking that that would give them a pass. Maybe they were looking and proud of their own history, that the Jews had been given the oracles and the word, kept the traditions, all these things, and yet they had become proud in it, self-righteous in it. Another thing worth noting in the verse we just read, in verse 29, there's no mention of the Father. When he wants to be celebrated for a service, And his perfect obedience. He wants to make merry with his friends. No thought of the father. Was there love for his father there? Or resentment for what was going on? Couldn't even bring himself to celebrate with the father. But what did he want to celebrate? Touching it already. His own works. Here was the prodigal, once thought to be dead. They're celebrating because he's back. It's as if he is life from the dead, restored into this place. And there's the other brother. What about my service? What about my servitude over many years? You never threw a celebration for me. This was the attitude of many roundabout. And you, you they've got they're notorious for looking down on others like the Pharisee in the temple, that famous example. I'm thankful that I am not like this man. Let us stay away from such thoughts. but in spite of this, is it not glorious that the gospel still goes to them. The gospel still goes to them. The Jews are being converted. The Jews are being converted. They are seeing Christ for who he is. Coming to him in faith and repentance. Yes, even the self-righteous turn. What a gospel we have. And friend, you're a privileged person here tonight to be hearing the gospel every single week from this very pulpit. This elder brother was privileged. Don't take advantage of that privilege, to live like he lived, but rather join with the celebration of repentance. Sinners repenting and closing in with the Lord. Just a few thoughts in conclusion this evening. If you are in that far country, return return. The husks will run out. Time will run out. There's a great eternity stretching out ahead of each and every one of us. The gospel is free. Christ is held out, offered out to sinners. Accept him this night. And perhaps if you Know the weight of your own sin this night. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I know I am a great sinner. I know that I deserve nothing of the Lord's hand. Great is my sin. And sometimes in that great weight of sh- sin, we find ourselves to be silent. We cannot even bear to speak any words in prayer to the Lord because of our Shame. remember a few years ago, a dog went missing in the hills of North Harris, a friend of mine. And the owner said, the trouble with this dog is that if she was sitting on a hill or in a, the cleft of a rock somewhere, and if you were to call her name, she wouldn't make a sound. She'd be silent. You could only find her if you happened to look directly upon her. Because she's terribly guilty. Whenever she's in trouble and you call her name, she closes her mouth and she hides. Don't be found silent under the call of the gospel. Just as we were shouting that dog's name out into the hills of harris That great gospel call goes out. Upon answering, will you be rebuked? Will you be judged for your rebellion if you come answering the call of the gospel? Or would you, like that family were, be rejoicing that the dog was found? Would you be found in the presence of a God who delights to save Delights in mercy. Loves to save sinners. Even those who are in that far country. And upon being found. Being made a son or a daughter. What a privilege. The joy of repentance. The joy of repentance. There's no groanings and glory. Over any sinner that repents. Don't know if you know this but the the Japanese man who led the attack on Pearl Harbour in World War II became best friends with one of the American bombardiers who retaliated in Japan for that great evil. At the time they made these attacks, there was no grace in their heart. But upon grace entering in, they were made inseparable friends. Worst enemies in this world, and yet great friends in Christ. You see the healing power of the gospel. Here we find it. And just a final thought, that we so often can see ourselves in both brothers. We see ourselves in both brothers. We see ourselves so easily led into the far country. Such is our frailty and weakness. We see ourselves taking too many of these husks in this world. We can also see ourselves being proud of our service. Being proud of what we do and say in the church and in fellowship. But regardless of where you find yourself this night, know that there is a father even more merciful than the father in this prodigal son parable willing to save, even to the uttermost. His arm is not shortened, but I cannot save every single person in this building this night. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to us this evening. Let us stand now for prayer. O most merciful and gracious God, we delight this night in the gospel. We, oh Lord, delight that those who are dead in trespasses and in sins can be taken out of that fearful pit and put their feet upon a rock. We, oh Lord, know of a Saviour that died for sinners. What a glorious message that we have that there is a hell to be shunned and a heaven to be won. We, oh Lord, pray that this gospel would continue to go out in power into this world. That, O Lord, uh, those who take it to them, whether in pulpit or in the street, would indeed be blessed therein. We give thanks for the clarity of the parables in this portion of scripture that we read tonight. Pray that we would have received much from them by the Spirit. And that we, O Lord, would be built up this night. That we would be found each and all here in a spirit of repentance knowing that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, even here this night, that repents. Go before us the remainder of their service here and the remainder of this Sabbath day. And pardon our sins, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.